As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a growing network of people who believe the center of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ, and that learning to take love seriously is vital for how we practice discipleship, mission, and leadership. The Gravity Leadership Podcast explores, in practical ways, how to root our lives and our leadership in this love that holds all of us and everything together. Hello, everybody. Hey. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, one of your hosts, Ben Sternke. I'm here with Matt Tebby. I'm here. My friend and co-host of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. We've got a great, great episode with Lee Camp. This one was a lot of fun. It involved ukulele, if I recall. It did. So uh, get ready for that. Uh, but before we head into that, I wanted to make a couple announcements uh, here. One is that we are doing uh, Church in the Wild workshop online. Church in the Wild workshop is a workshop about being the body of Christ when we're not in charge anymore. Mm. Um, what does Christian witness look like in a post-Christendom world? I think it is something that we, Matt, you and I, we talk about this a lot. We don't know what it, it means exactly, and we're, we're, we're struggling to sort of uh, figure out what this looks like. Yes. Um, so it's a big deal, I think, right now, especially in this political season, um, to figure out what that looks like. So anyway, I, I would uh, hope you'd uh, join us for that. Um, it's November 13th and 14th, um, the evening of the 13th, and then the morning of the 14th. We'll put a link in the show notes to that workshop uh, because we do think that uh, this is an opportunity um, for the church to rediscover her, uh, her mission. So yep. I'm excited yep. about that. We'll put a link in the show notes, uh, but if you are able to join us for that, it's only $35. We lowered yep. the price. Uh, we're partnering with uh, Katie Vineyard in uh, Katy, Texas yeah. to bring this to you. So yeah. thanks thanks to the Katie Vineyard uh, for sponsoring this event. Yes. So uh, spo- Spoiler that. alert. Spoiler alert. Yes. Uh, Christianity changed the world when they weren't in charge. Yeah. So that's, maybe, yeah. maybe we could do that too. Maybe we could do that too. So we're trying to learn from the early church here. Yep. All right. So uh, real quick, before we get into Lee Camp, by the way, I'm, I'm really geeked out about Lee Camp. I think mm-hmm. I think this book, his book, Scandalous Witness, is yeah. is in my top three books I've read this year. And Ben, I'll have you know, mm-hmm. I read a lot of books, and mm-hmm. uh, Lee's book is incredible. Yeah, it's so much so that it's form, it's shaping, it's giving uh, shape to our Sermon on the Mount series at our church. Yeah, uh, because his book is all about um, how the church has given away its public witness, its public faith. Yeah. to partisan ideologies. If you're yeah. sick of Trump versus Biden, if you're sick of having to choose between right and left, well, let me introduce you to the kingdom of God. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lee Kemp's book is really good because it, it, you don't just have to... He, he pushes us past just raging against the machine or holding our nose and voting, and he, he um, explicates... There's a word. Mm. He explicates what a kingdom politic is that's beautiful it's great so we're gonna get into that he's awesome but you know what we um we have a we have a patron um support we have patron supporters we have a patreon that we release podcasts to and covid and various sundry real life um things has (laughs) like we've slowed down releasing patreon podcasts um but a friend of mine ben was like hey you should really 
schedule some more Patreon podcasts. That sounds like, like a great friend. That was like, hey, hey, friend, that's a good idea. Yeah, so I've been good friend. Yeah, I've been feverishly uh, scheduling podcast interviews for our Patreon only podcast, and these are people that I love that are brilliant um, stay-at-home dads and uh, pastors and moms and just wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I listed three huge groups of people. I, they're the best people. Right, the moms. best people coming on the moms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, there's Shout out ho- to all the moms. Ho- hominids. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Bipeds. <laughs> so anyway, um, we're going to start releasing those in earnest uh, probably next week. But I, I thought it would be good as we enter this just to name. We have 40 people that support this podcast and support the work of Gravity. And we are so yeah. stinking grateful for you. And we want to name you by name. We want to give your address, social security number, and <laughs> no, just by first name. And just to say thank you. So can I do this? Can I, can I, can I read 10 of these names? And I'll, I'll just read 10 and then I'll say thank you. And then you read 10 and you can say whatever you want, Ben. Okay. You Sounds can do good. what you want. Okay, ready? All right. Uh, Laura, Greg, Carla. Gino, Matthew, such a good name, Eric, <laughs> Jesse, Steve, Brian. Thank you. Yes. And uh, David, Jenny, Dr. Philip. <laughs> Dr. David. Can we say Dr. Phil? Dr. Phil. Dr. <laughs> Phil. Yes. Uh, David, uh, Laura, Robert, Andrew, Mike and Chris, Mike and Christy. Yes. Thank you. Claire, Jacqueline, Rich, and Heather. Uh, I'm going to mess this up. Then, Tin? I don't know how to pronounce that name. Oh, Andrew, Rick, Mike, Cody, <laughs> Jerry, Catherine, Dan. Thank you. Ben, Matthew, Stu, Jay, Lana, Daniel, Brian, Craig, Sue, Parker, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, you guys are awesome. If you would yeah. like to learn more about our uh, Patreon page and support us, there's really affordable tiers. Um and you can go to patreon.com slash gravity leadership. Yep. And if you sign up, uh, I think you have to sign up for the $15 tier to get the practitioner podcast episodes oh. that you're talking about. So FYI, or if you're a current patron and you want to make sure that you get in on those, I'm sure they'll be really good. Um, yeah. Just yep. all about what it yep. looks like to practice our faith today in yep. today's world. In various um, contexts. Arenas, being, contexts. Being a human. Yes. All right. Yes. Being a human. A hominid. Um, How many did you know? <laughs> yes. Well, here's uh, Lee Camp. Enjoy this uh, interview. Lee, as you said, Matt, has a really clear way of articulating uh, what uh, political life as the church, the church as politic. The church is than, a politic. Yeah. Rather than getting involved in some other form of politics. He's really clear on that, and uh, he's been really helpful to us. Enjoy. Lee Camp, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Thank you, Matt. It's good to be with you and Ben. Appreciate the invitation. Yeah, yeah. Lee is the professor of theology and ethics at Lipscomb University in Nashville, and he's authored a couple books, several books, including Mere Discipleship and Who is My Enemy, and hosts the only uh, theological variety show that I know of called <laughs> The Tokens Show. Uh, and so we, we're going to chat about a new book that I'll name here in a second, but what is a theological variety act? What what, yeah, what no, is the token? It sounds show? it sounds horrible. It sounds horrible, doesn't it? Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's actually very fun. Uh, it's it's one of those crazy ideas I got years ago, and uh, it would it would not leave me alone. So anyway, in two thousand eight, we started this theological variety show, and it's um, we've actually been very fortunate. We have literally some of the best musicians in Nashville in our house band, which makes it uh, some of the best in the country. Wow. And uh, we have a house band, we have guest vocalists, you know, mo- typically from Americana-esque kind of music genre. And then we do hmm. author interviews, comedic sketches, and I kind of, I'm the host, and so I kind of weave it all together with a bit of um, social, socio-political, spiritual, theological commentary. And yeah. it's just really great fun. I, I kind of get it. It's like, it's like Pray Home Companion meets Dolly World. Is that what it well, is? No, I would not want to characterize it that way, but I, I would say it's, it's more like, <laughs> I would say oh, it's a little bit like, um, 
uh, for for public radio people, it is a bit. I mean, it, I was certainly inspired by Free Home Companion, um, but I, I guess I would say now it's it's kind of like Chris Steely's Live from Here. Oh, uh, meet, yeah, yeah, meets yeah. Krista Tippett's on being with a bit Ooh. more explicit theological, socio-political commentary. Oh, that's that, great. That's a way better description. I think Sorry. Matt yeah. understands it a little bit better. Lee, wanna, Lee, you, how about we make this a token show episode and uh, yeah. you can just leave from here out. Right. We're yeah, our must, musicians. Must, musicians. Yeah, I must say, though, uh, yeah, yeah, that uh, Dolly, of course, Dolly Parton has become quite an incredible figure. And uh, But uh, yeah. to talk about Dolly is a different thing than talking about Dolly Wood in Tennessee. You're right. Sure, I think yeah. I was thinking um I was thinking Opryland and I said Dolly Wood. Oh yeah. yeah. And so I'm also listening to that <laughs> podcast about Dolly Parton. Have you heard have you listened to this podcast? Dolly Parton's uh, America. I I've Dolly listened Parton's to this, America. A couple of those episodes. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's amazing. Well, uh, one of our one of our yes. ha- Yeah, yeah. Sorry, thank you. I would <laughs> we do have a new uh we do have a new podcast on there that I would also think uh, lots of folks perhaps of your uh audience might like uh that we've just finished up season one this week um and uh it's at tokenshow.com slash podcast and i would love folks to check that out as well great and that's something different than the the theological variety show it it, it's mostly interview based uh and and uh some of the episodes have interviews from our live shows huh yeah and is the is the so the live show is it a video or an audio thing or like uh the live show on the is, internet. The live show is ta- is is mostly a live event experience. Okay. okay. And then we we've done some public television and public radio oh, okay. broadcasts and and things of that sort. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I just wanted to say for this episode, uh, I took my ukulele off the wall, and so I am available to be the musician <laughs> on this podcast if we want. Okay. Ben, do you have I, something? I would love so that. Yes. Just. Yeah. Yeah, I'll just I'll see if the spirit moves and what I feel yeah. inspired to play. All right, you know if there's any you want to play underneath any of his if, answers. If, if, yeah, if, totally. If like if, if Lee on, starts gotta, like yeah. yeah, if Lee starts really kind of getting into it, I might into a monologue. I might just, yeah, yeah, I might just go for it. <laughs> and the music's going. playing, Lee. We gotta go. <laughs> no, that uh, Lee, yeah, that won't be playing you out. That will be like yeah. uh, hopefully you know kind of like. Uh, you know, Help, and like helping the, you grab the the, the yeah. wind of the spirit. I, I will know? say, I will say that raises a, a huge pet peeve of mine. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I hear people in in you know contemporary so called progressive churches these days, and and they don't know how to do the musical underscore for the end of the pastor's homily, and it just drives me batty. And it, oh, yeah. I learned a basic lesson from Ira Glass years ago, who does this American Life. He said, he said, you know, you do a little bit of music, and he said the key on the musical underscore is that whenever the music stops, people will hear what's said. Oh, and it's wow. a brilliant insight. But but it a lot is. of people, they don't know that. They play the thing through the whole thing, and it's like yeah. ruins it, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yes. we digress. We do digress. Yeah, we well, do. You, you've written a number of books. One of them, uh, my introduction to your writing was Mere Discipleship, Lee. And um, I am struck by two things, how necessary and profound that book is and how few people I've met have read it. Hmm. Um, and I, I've talked about it before as the most important discipleship book that no one I know has read. Um, and I, (laughs) and I feel like this new book, which is called scandalous witness, a little political manifesto for Christians basically takes, uh, a lot of the, uh, theological underpinnings and assumptions and intuitions of that book and, and turns the lens towards how to, how do Christians engage, uh, politically, and we'll unpack those terms in a bit, uh, in America. What was the genesis for this book? How did you get the idea or the inspiration to write it? Um, well, I, I will say that, um, you know, the uh, the background leading up to it was that my second book called Who Is My Enemy, so few people read... <laughs> You outdid that, yourself. That I, I outdid myself with the second book. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was so discouraged by that process. And I still think it's a good book. Um, mm. But so few people read it that I thought, I don't know if I'm ever going to write another book because mm. you put so much work into these things. And then yeah. just, you know. Yeah. But um, I had, uh, you know, there were, I had been working on this project and thinking about the, the propositions that I have in that book and I had taught some Sunday schools out of it and so forth. And, um, and then uh, Trevor Thompson at Erdman's came by my office one day, and I guess it would have been two summers ago. And he said that they were uh, looking for 
some material that would be an antidote to uh, Trump as Messiah among Christians. Mm. Mm. And um, so he said, you got anything? And I said, well, I might have something that you might find interesting. And so one thing led to another, and and here we are. Okay. Mm. Uh you know, paradoxically, who is my enemy sounds like a book Trump would write. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, um, who is my enemy was uh, was maybe about um, the the, the um, incompatibility of enemy making with the Christian life. Yeah, that yeah, that's certainly a huge part of it. Um, it was it was obviously turning the you know who is my neighbor on its head. And it was yeah. it was doing a comparison between uh, Christianity and Islam on war and peacemaking, and so I was making the case that uh, both the both the stereotypical right and the stereotypical left uh, cannot rightly see what the issues are between Christianity and Islam, hmm. and so I tried to problematize both of those sides and try to give a more theological accounting and uh, to show what I think the issues really are, the, both areas of compatibility and areas of sharp difference between the two. Interesting. Well, in this book, you turn your gaze on maybe the binary, the partisan binary that defines American national politics, which is uh, typically referred to as progressives and conservatives or uh, conservatives and liberals. Um, and I want to talk about what you, uh, how you turn those phrases, I think probably making both both sides mad in, in a second, but just to set the table for us, um, I I just want you to know I've shared some quotations from this on my Facebook page, and and people lose their biscuit on me uh, because hmm. because um, uh, they're committed to words meaning what they don't mean, and and so what I mean by this is you hmm. have a one of your propositions is Christianity is not a religion, Christianity yeah. is a politic. Um. Would you describe what you mean by religion there and what you mean by politic? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and that's a great place to start, I think. Um, so by, let me start with politic. Uh, you know, uh, uh, in the classical sense, going back to the Greek philosophers and so forth, um, pol politics is the art of arranging the affairs of a community. And so politics classically asks questions about what do we do with wealth and the distribution of wealth? Uh, what do we do with marriage? What do we do with enemies? How do we practice reconciliation when there are offenses? Uh, and and what, how do we deal with leadership? And it's like, you know, has anyone ever read the New Testament? You know, there it is, right? <laughs> and so in the classical sense, we, we, we have to learn to realize that Christianity is a politic. And, 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 it, and, if, and if people don't understand that it's a politic, they do not understand Christianity. Mm -hmm. um, but when we say it's not a religion, what I mean by that is a religion typically since the Enlightenment has become this sort of um, vague category that refers to certain assertions or convictions that pertain to one's privatized notions of spirituality or one's privatized notions of the nature of mm. God or one's privatized notions of one's relationship with God or one's privatized notions of the afterlife that have mm. nothing to do with the real world or communal relations or with politics. And in that regard, I insist Christianity, whatever it is, Christianity is not a religion defined that way. And, and so I'm, I'm suggesting that when people say, when, when people say Christianity is a religion and Christianity is not political, all mm. they do by making that statement is show that they are good children of modernism and good children of the Enlightenment and, and that they are not truly understanding Christianity. Yes. Mm. Lee, that's, that's, a, that's a master class right there. We could wrap the p podcast up, but I... <laughs> I mean, we're, Think we're in the on middle these of, We're in the middle See of election week. cycle, yeah. right? And and we're talking about being Christian in America and how why it's so tricky. And what you yeah. just said is it's so tricky because we get Christianity wrong and we get politics wrong. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. why it's so tricky. And yeah. I, I think when you name when you name uh Christianity is uh as a way of being in the world. It's how to order relationships and order an economy and order um uh everything that constitutes being a human, but we reduce Christianity to various um, sub-biblical ideas, like it's a transactional, it's a yeah. transactional spiritual thing, or 
or it's a moralistic kind of behavioral thing, or it's a personal mm. private, uh, personal private thing. And what you're saying is that has more to do with inheriting philosophical systems from our culture than it does what Jesus was, was inaugurating in the kingdom of God. Yeah, I think mm. that's right. Yeah, I think that's a very, a very good way to say it. Yeah. So how, uh, if I can jump in, I, I I think one of the one of the areas where we run into trouble when we think about this is I think that when people are even willing to entertain that that might be true, <laughs> you know, okay, if Christianity is a politic, how is that different from, um, you know, one of the things that we've seen happen here in this last election and the upcoming election is that Christians are being pandered to in terms of like, hey, you're losing your power. I'll give it back to you. Christianity is going to be powerful again. We're going to be on top. We're going to be the people telling you what to do. How is what you're talking about different than that, where it's just like, oh, yeah, Christianity is a politic. We should be in charge and tell people what to do. Does that make sense? That question? How's that? How is how yeah. is your proposal different from that? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I think that... Um, in, in the opening to the book, I suggest that uh, Jesus and Jesus' temptation, and I'm, I'm playing off of quite a, a number of New Testament commentators uh, not mm-hmm. being original here, but sure. a, lot of, a lot of New Testament commentators have talked about how in the temptation accounts in the Gospels, Jesus is dealing with three tempting ways to be Messiah. Hmm. And um, it's, you know, it's, it's to um, have all the nations of the earth bow down to you. That's the imperialist make America great again promise. And mm-hmm. Jesus explicitly rejects that, right? Yes. And the second one is turn these stones into bread. Uh, that that's, that's the welfare king, reduce everything to social activism kind of temptation. And Jesus says, mm-hmm. no, it's more, it's more than that. Man, God, man shall live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, not just, not just these physical needs. And then three, it's, it's to show up in the temple and set the religion right. And so I'm, I'm trying to say what we have to do is try to find a way to understand Christianity as this alternative politic that is neither imperialistic, we're going to be on top, we're going to tell people what to do. It's not reducible to social activism. That's not to say Christians don't care about justice. They absolutely care about justice. And not to say Christians don't care about poverty and hunger. They absolutely care about that. But it can't be reduced to that. And then third, it's not about just religious reform. It's this yeah. all-encompassing thing. But it's an all-encompassing thing to go back to your question, Ben that explicitly uh, lets go of the assertion of power or lets go of the assertion of coercive power and instead embraces the power of love and the power of self-sacrifice. This podcast is brought to you by Gravity Leadership Academy, our 10-month online training intensive for Christian leaders who want to root their life and leadership in God's love and bring lasting transformation to their culture. In Gravity Leadership Academy, you'll learn the real-life practicalities of how to notice God's presence and activity in and around you so you can participate more fully in God's life and mission and open up space for those around you to do so too. We've worked really hard to make this training in missional leadership practical and doable. To find out more about Gravity Leadership Academy, visit gravityleadership.com slash academy. Oftentimes, it seems to me when, when we talk about you know Christianity and politics and being a Christian in America, like the only imagination we have is like, okay, this is how politics works. And I put the, I put that in air quotes, right? This is how politics right. works. One team gets to tell the other team what to do. One team wins, the other team loses. And then we happen to be Christians who have, and like you said earlier, that just means I have, I happen to assent to a set of private beliefs about the spiritual world and Jesus and who he is. Like I happen to assent to this. And so we just happen to be this team called Christians but we play the game like everybody else. And your, your proposal is, no, the politics of Jesus means that we don't play the game like everybody else. Exactly. We play, like we follow Jesus. We're his disciples. So it, the, the politics of Jesus, is it has content. We have to actually uh, pay attention to that, right? Exactly right. Yeah. So it, w- there's all sorts of profound implications when you, when you began to frame the conversation as it's, Christianity is not a religion. 
that you then can go spread by hook or by crook or whatever means possible, right? <laughs> right. It right. is a way of life. It's a way of yeah. life. And if you spread a way of life by a conflicting way of life, then you have, by definition, undercut your own purposes. Yes. Yeah. And and so it's, you know, as, you know, uh, Gandhi talked about means and ends in terms of as, as the acorn is to the oak tree. So we must always be mindful of the fact that whatever way we go about doing what we're doing is integrally related to the outcome that we get. Yes. Um, so, so when you're, when you go, when you go say, we're going to make people do this, right. well, okay, but you've, you've undercut Christianity. Yeah. You've now, you've now left the way of Jesus and the politics of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. One I of the ways the ukulele cord. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I, oh, I got to keep playing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I should have yeah, played yeah. it beforehand. And then you right play, when you, we were going to get you, how do you do this? You play right now during my question. And then I end my question and Lee answers. All right. So Lee, so Lee, uh, one of the games we play that we don't know we're playing is the game of liberalism. And we're used to that game naming one end of the partisan spectrum. Right. Yeah. Like we're used to that naming the progressives. But you call you call the two ends of the partisan spectrum liberal liberals and conservative liberals. Uh, and I think that probably gets people's attention. Can you name then what is this liberalism that everybody's playing that isn't Christian? Yeah. Right. And now we go. <laughs> Impressive, man. Impressive, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like I'm back on stage now. Um, yeah. Trying so, to make me comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> um, so liberalism, uh, understood in terms of political theory, so liberalism is this notion that privatizes individual liberty and that takes the questions of the meaning of life and the purpose of life and the common goods of a community off the table and says what liberalism is about is about individuals maximizing their individual choices and their individual pursuits of happiness and let them decide for themselves what's the meaning of life and them decide for themselves what the common good is. But we want to maximize individual liberties. And the institutions affiliated with liberalism are things like democratic republicanism, um, de democracy generally speaking, are things like free market economies, uh, are things like the private uh, right to practice your religion. Um, and so that's what liberalism is, right? So when we talk about conservative liberals and liberal liberals, <laughs> they're basically arguing about the different places we constrain individual freedom. So for example, um, well, let me back up just a second. So, so liberalism knows that everybody can't do everything everybody wants or it'll all go to hell. And right. so they know that at certain points, individual liberty has to be constrained or limited. And so this is what many of our political debates, if not in some ways, almost all of our, our political debates in America can be reduced to is arguing about where you draw those lines. Right. So, for example, uh, conservative liberals will say, stereotypically speaking, will say, look, my money is mine. And I worked for it and I should be able to do whatever I want to for it. So you keep your hands off my money, but yeah. you make sure you don't let those people do what they want to do with their bodies and the way they want to define marriage. So you limit them on that and then just flip that over to the liberals. You know, the liberals say, no, the government needs to tell people what they're going to do with their money, but you keep your hands off my body and you keep your hands off my womb and I'm going to do what I want to with my body and my womb and how I define marriage. Yes. And so they're both liberals, stereotypically. I know we're painting with a broad brush, but they're both liberals. They're just arguing about different places to draw those lines of constraint. Whereas Christianity is a completely different thing, right? It's just a completely <laughs> different worldview. And, yeah, this, uh, but I'm we get so right caught up right in those partisan Wait. debates, and we think in order to be Christian, because we have this limited notion of Christian values, um rather than the whole Christian narrative always ruling the way we're yes. thinking and engaging the world. Mm -hmm. uh, we take those Christian values and we impose that on one party or the other, right? And you can find your values to be a conservative right. liberal and you can find your values to be a liberal liberal without seeing the ways in which the whole things are different. Yes. Yeah, you know? So if, if Christian, so that's, this is what happens is liberalism runs the Christian show in America and it's, it's about individual freedoms and rights. And then we kind of, yeah 
collapsed into camps. So how would you then name, if it's not liberalism, um, how would you name then the underlying, what would you call it, societal logic or a way that our freedom, how do we understand our freedom individually and collectively in the Christian story that's at odds with liberalism? Um, well, I, I guess I would say, um, that Christianity, you know, my, my field is Christian ethics or, you know, moral theology. And so coming from that discipline, that discipline would say that the way Christianity is different than liberalism is that Christianity is teleological. That is Christianity starts with, with the telos or the telos, depending on who you're talking to. It starts with the end (laughs) goal. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it starts with the vision of what it means to be human, and it starts with the end goal of history, namely for everything to be made right and all brought under the purposes of God. And mm. and then from that starting point, namely starting with the end of what it means to be humans individually, what it means to be humans community, what it means to be humans wrought up in the work of God in history and where history's headed, then you begin with... Well, okay, so what does it mean for us to be players in this unfolding of history? Um, mm-hmm. And so that that's a completely different way of construing who we are in the world. Uh, and so I think mm-hmm. that's that's the place I always try to go to is that Christianity is teleological and liberalism is not. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I really I really like that. I think um, it it uh yeah, or, or at least like liberalism seems like the only telos is uh, like I get what I want, like I get my rights, I get my my individual freedoms, you know, wherever I draw those lines, like I get that. But then there's no, there's nothing past that. It's like, well, is that is that the end? And it's almost like, yeah, that's yeah. the end. I love that Christianity has a further end uh, unto it, you know, the renewal of all things, and like this is what we were created for, uh, that kind of thing. It reminds me of. Um, uh, N.T. Wright talks uh, a bit about this when he talks about uh, when he gets when he goes into ethics uh, in some of his books. I can't remember uh, which ones uh, specifically, but he calls like Christianity is like this story, this five act play. And in some ways, like we've we've got the first four acts already and we're in the middle of the fifth act, I think is how he is how he refers to it. We know the end of the play, but we don't know all the lines. And so we're sort of ad libbing our lines. Um, but we're ad-libbing them. We're on the stage and we're performing this play and we're ad-libbing lines that have to be consistent with our story as it goes back into the past, but also have to have to be consistent with the way we know the story ends. Right. And so we're sort of ad-libbing our lines ethically, so to speak, toward this end. Um, and that kind of informs what what should we do now, you know, yeah. uh, in an election year in America? Well, right. we're ad-libbing our lines as Christians, right. you know, toward this yeah. telos. Yeah, I, I love the old line about, um, I don't know if he uses it or I picked this up from somebody else, but it fits with that metaphor, you know, the, the notion of faithful improvisation. Yeah. You know, we're, we're faithfully improvising in the midst of all this narrative. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that we're playing fast and loose with the story, right? Exactly. We we know where the stories come from. We know where the story's ending. Mm-hmm. And so then we're in the midst of this sort of place, sometimes of tension, sometimes of ease in which we're kind of playing it out faithfully. Yeah. yeah. One of the, one of the, uh, maybe intractable, paralyzing uh, artifacts of our culture is that these these ideologies of liberal liberalism and conservative liberalism they seem so ensconced, they seem so entrenched, right? So this is what and um, right. but you you have this really interesting story. I wonder if you'd share it um, about how how these things shift and and change over time. So what it means to be conservative and what it means to be liberal. They're, they're shifting and they're culturally determinative right. and dependent. And you tell the story of the Scopes monkey trial. Uh, yeah. That, could you, would you relay that story and just how that sure. shines light on how this is always culturally determined? Yeah. 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 Uh, th- that's a fascinating story. So um, for those who are unfamiliar with the story, 1925 was the famous Scopes trial in Dayton, Tennessee. And what had happened was that, the state legislature in Tennessee, and I, and I must say, you know, in in my mind, if you just pay it, if you just read some Tennessee politics, the state legislature in Tennessee does some crazy things. I mean, in terms of <laughs> you know trying to make the Bible the state book, uh, yeah. which I think is an outlandish, idiotic sort of move. Um, yeah. But 
1925, they had had this farmer legislator who had come to the legislature and he, he got this bill, Mr. Butler, and he got this bill passed that made it illegal to teach the theory of evolution with regard to human species in public schools. And so, um, sure enough, the, you know, the, the different parties wanted to test it. And so in Dayton, Tennessee, they had this coach teach biology that year and they asked him if he would teach it and be a test case. And so he, ta- he taught it and he taught human evolution. And next thing you know, you have this world renowned court case going on in this little town in East Tennessee and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people came to town. I mean, the, the train ran extra lines to get people in there. It was the most broadcast court proceedings that had ever happened. So far as I know in human history to that point, it was the telegraph stuff going out. It was crazy. Hmm. And it was this huge affair. And you had the two most prominent trial lawyers in the country come uh, test this case to show off against each other. And on the on the it was Clarence Darrow was the so-called, um, you know, he, he was defending teaching of evolution. And William Jennings Bryan, who was the famous fundamentalist Christian, was arguing against the teaching of evolution. So one of the things to note, if, if you go back and you look at the history of the divide between fundamentalists and conservatives over against modernists and liberals in American culture, many people will say that it, it began to be intractable in the 1925 Scopes trial. This was a huge turning point in American history. But here's the thing that a lot of people don't know, and I didn't know until I started reading about this trial, is if you go back and look at William Jennings Bryan, he was, he was, a, he was a very devoted Christian. He was very conservative with regard to Scripture. Uh, he was opposing the teaching of the theory of evolution. But he was one of the most socially liberal people who had ever run for president in the history of the United States. I mean, he was he was nigh unto a pacifist. He was um, he 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 was very opposed to Wilson getting the United States in World War One. Um, and he had become famous for this famous speech he did at one of the Democratic. Uh, 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 what's the party? What word I'm looking for? The Democratic Convention, convention. Um, yeah. on on the, the cross of gold where he was arguing uh, to, to change monetary policy to serve the labor class. And so he was very far social left liberal. And one and two of the reasons that he was so opposed to teaching the theory of evolution, you, you know, for people who don't know this, it's going to be shocking. You know, if one <laughs> is that he was so opposed to militarism and they had just come out of World War One, which was a horrific, horrific war. They just come out of World War One and they looked at German militarism that had yes. started the war as a manifestation of survival of the fittest writ in military terms. And he said, God knows that's yes. not what we want. So we can't teach the theory of evolution. And second, he saw laissez-faire, what we would call conservative economic <laughs> theory, economics writ in survival of the fittest. Mm. And so it was as much for the social reasons and implications of the theory of evolution that he didn't want theory of evolution being taught in public schools. And so obviously that would blow a lot of people's minds to think, what the heck are you, you, what? <laughs> Lee, it is uh, but it just, my mind again. I read it, I read it you on. Book, and I'm yeah. listening again. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, let me just but, pause there. That explodes all our categories, right? This guy, yeah. this guy would not be a fundamentalist today. Uh, the way we think about it and talk about it. Right. Yeah. The way we think about it. That's right. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's the conservative liberals. to see. Sorry, there's a little delay, Lee. Uh, mm-hmm. I was just going to say that yeah. the conservative liberals uh, would be upset that he's opposing the militarism and the economic policies. And then the liberal liberals would be like, wait, you're opposing the theory of evolution? Like, everybody would <laughs> right. be mad at him. Yeah. Everybody. Everybody. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I, it helps me because I, uh, when I hear what I heard about this, I just assumed that he opposed the theory of evolution because it was not, it was contrary to the Bible. Um, but, but that reflects my own late modern frames, cultural frames that, that are, have been defined, I think in some ways by this, the ideology, ideological camps that, you know, don't exist kind of objectively dropped from heaven, but they're socially constructed. And so even now the choice, like, it feels like we have this choice, you know, do I, do I uh, am I faithful to the Bible and I'm in this political party, or am I am I going to leave Christianity and be in this political party? It's a fool's choice, right? It, 
it's it, it doesn't even exist outside of America in the early 21st century. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and um, and I, I think we desperately have to find people and need people who can argue otherwise and who can be exemplars of a third way. And you know, mm. I, on on the podcast that we've been doing, that I just mentioned our second episode was a an interview with uh, former Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam, and. Um, one of the reasons I had gotten to know Haslam, and, and so I wanted people to hear some of the things I knew he had to say, because he ha- his approach to Christianity in public service is very different. And even though he's a re- he's a Republican, he was a moderate Republican, mm-hmm. but the way he, I mean, one of the things he said was the most important thing Christianity had taught him to bring into pu- public service was, from the doctrine of human sin, we of all people ought to know that the other guy might be right and we might be wrong. And that's the posture we start with. And it's like that itself would revolutionize Christianity and politics in America, right? Oh, Wouldn't it? It would. Oh, yeah. It would. And, no, it and totally then, and would. then, you know, and I asked him at the end of that interview, I said, um, if you could put up a billboard uh, all around the state of Tennessee and nobody would know you put it up and it would stay up for a few years, what would it say? Hmm. And he, he thought and he said, I think it would say God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Hmm. And I thought, we know we desperately need that. And and the last thing I'll say about that interview was he said, uh, he said, look, we've got to move beyond this notion that Christians can only be Republicans. He said, I just do not believe that. And here this is a Republican Christian, you know, been very successful in in American politics. Yeah. Yeah. So so then for those of us listening and I am listening, Lee, trust me, (laughs) uh, for those of us listening, I, I wonder if you could give us then an imagination for how how seeing through the political game and how mm-hmm. it compromises Christian witness. It eviscerates our political embodiment of the gospel of the kingdom of God. It co-ops, you know, you talk a lot about America being uh, a bastard hope, meaning America replaces God as the hope of the world. Mm-hmm. But we see through all this, how does it not just leave us disenchanted, elitist, yeah. disgruntled, and we just opt out? Like, mm, yeah. where, how, where do we go with the prophetic angst that this creates? Yeah, that's a great question, and and you know, I, I mean, I would con- uh, I, I do think that um, that's where some people take these sorts of observations. Um, yeah, and that's why in the that's why in the book I insist we've got to find a Christian neither right nor left nor religious because in in addition to the other sorts of reasons I already gave earlier, you know, sometimes we can use this sort of um, that we don't have to care about politics because, you know, I hear I've heard people last election season say, well, whatever happens, God's got this, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's like this sort of pious indifference. And, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, we absolutely need to trust in the long term that God's got us. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's, that is so ungracious to act as if social policy doesn't matter. It has huge bearings upon the lives of our neighbors. Yes. And um, that's why we can't use these sorts of observations as a way to disengage. And I, and I guess I would say that if we think we can use this sort of stuff to disengage and act as if this stuff doesn't matter, I think you can only do that if you're privileged. And if you're, yes. if you're, if you're wealthy and privileged, you can act that way. Yeah. But otherwise, you know better. Yeah. yeah. And it also betrays the fact that you may have not you, – you have, again – like we were saying earlier, you've undercut the very thing you're trying to embrace. Right. Like to, to sort of opt out or to say that politics doesn't matter is actually to undercut the very thing you're trying to embrace because exactly. it, it does, you know, it does matter. You know, the, the things that get enacted on the national and then the local level, um, they affect especially, you know, the poor, especially people of color, especially our marginalized and oppressed neighbors. Mm. So, mm. So then, Lee, uh, as we approach election day, and people are there's 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 two camps really that I hear. One is people are sick of the church being used as what you call kind of as like a prostitute or as a court prophet. You know, the church is being used by a politician to um, to like endorse all of their agenda, right? And there's Christians that we talk to that are just sick and sick and sick of that. Uh, Then there's other Christians that are like, I want to keep Jesus as, or I want to keep Washington, D.C. as far away from our church as possible. We want to be as apolitical as possible. And sometimes it's a reaction against that. You know, they're coming out of that. 
feeling used. Um, what are some practices or ways forward for us to reimagine our social embodiment of the kingdom of God in an engaged, politically engaged uh, witness, uh, yeah. even a scandalous witness, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's that. That's the that's kind of like the million dollar question. Um, yeah, and I, I I guess I would I would suggest that um, the first thing to do would be to make sure we have. I, I do think that in the you know in the book I cover like fifteen different propositions, and I and I do think that all fifteen of those are indispensable if we would if we would move into the place I would hope we would move into. All of those are very basic but terribly important theological convictions, and they're all kind of orthodox. Like they're nothing you know the explicitly theological stuff is nothing out of the ordinary. I don't think. No. Nope. Um, but I think to understand those things theologically is is the first task of the church. And then I think that mm. it's beginning to listen well to one another and to, to pay attention to people in our community, uh, to hear what people's experiences are, uh, and to try to find a way to do that where we can really hear each other. And, you know, it's typically not going to be done on social media, right? Um, yeah. But to have a space of where we can have honest conversations and learn to listen to one another. I was, I was looking at something uh, uh, a day or two ago, an article from Psychology Today, and, and they were talking about how uh, typically facts are not going to change people's minds. And there's been research done at the University of Michigan about this, right? So even, even someone who has a position and they see a competing fact, it just further hardens them in their partisanship, yeah. uh, which is a terribly disturbing thing. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it's apparently true. Right. But yeah. they were saying that there's evidence, uh, there's evidence-based stuff that shows that what will change people's minds is listening to the stories of other people. Yeah. Um, yes. And so, and you know, Shane Claiborne will say things like, uh, we, we can't argue people into thinking differently. We can only story people into thinking differently. And, yeah. and, and so I think, it, you know, it's listening to stories and the stories of our neighbors uh, who are experiencing the world differently than we are, uh, that would be the next major step in all of that. Man, I, that just resonates so profoundly with me. Mm -hmm. We uh, empathetic listening and dwelling on those experiences, and and listening uh, maybe in the way that this uh, was it the ex governor of Tennessee, yeah, who yeah who's talked about um, having the humility to consider learning or even being wrong, right? As as not a problem, but as like a gift. Yeah, uh, a basic you know, posture of Christians in public service. Yeah. Which, yeah, just to say that that's a that is a like a fundamental posture of how to be a Christian in the world is the humility to say I'm wrong and please help me. Um, is fairly revolutionary for many of us. Yeah. Uh, Lee, I well, I just want to just name on this podcast. Ben and I are we co-pastor. We're we're leading mm -hmm. our church. Um, you know, and we're still in this COVID time. It's craziness. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. by the time this podcast comes out, the United States Postal Service might have exploded. Who knows? There's just all kinds of crazy things happening surrounding, uh, I think, this election here coming up in 2020. And one of the things that we're doing is we're, we're preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, which is yeah. kind of Jesus's kingdom manifesto of, of how to how to order ourselves socially. And um, I I, I just, I'm, we're giving your book to all our preachers because I feel like in order for us to live a Jesus politic in a partisan America, we need to reimagine hmm. what the kingdom of God lives like and not let it be co-opted or subverted by these prevailing ideologies. So thank you so much for this book. Yeah. It's a mm -hmm. gift. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for spending some time with us, Lee. It's really a gift. Yeah. Um, give us the name of that podcast again, Lee, and also where we can find the Tokens show. Yeah, um, thank you. But for, before I do that, uh, Matt and Ben, I really do appreciate the invitation to share with you guys today and appreciate the great conversation and uh, appreciate the work that you're doing. And thank you for that. Very much yeah. appreciated. Yeah, thanks. Uh, you can find Tokens show at tokensshow.com and then you can just click on podcast or you can go to tokensshow.com slash podcast. Or on Apple Podcasts, you can just search for Tokens Lee Camp and find it there. Great. All right. Bless you, Lee. Awesome. Bless you. Thank you all. Appreciate it. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Our show is produced by Ben Sternke, Matt Tebby, and Ben Hardman. Aaron Sternke does our mixing and mastering. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. If you find our podcast helpful, share it with your friends in person and on social media. And don't forget to rate and review us online as well as subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can join our Gravity community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. And hey, we'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, make a comment, send us an idea, a recommendation, recipe, whatever. You can email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.